on today's episode, Overcoming Shin Splints with Danny Symington. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Um, left a rating or review. I, I'm getting a lot of people on social media saying, oh, I've just left a rating and review. And I wait a couple of days and nothing turns up. <laughs> um, I've just done some research and either um, sometimes it takes up to a week to, if, to become visible. So I'll read them out if I ever see them. Uh, or I've seen a, a few people, um, or I've read that if you are not signed in under like your account or something, um, it will say that you've left a rating review, but then it just won't show up because it's not linked to any account. But uh, nonetheless, when I start seeing some rating reviews come in, I'll read them out um, at the time of recording. So this will get released in say like a week or so, but um, yeah, nonetheless, we shall move on. We have Danny on the episode today and it was um, after me just sending out some emails on um, my mailing list that he replied and said, oh, I've actually overcome um, my shin pain listening to your podcast and applying the lessons. I'm like, fantastic. Let's let's come on and have a chat. And yeah, it was a, a great episode, um, not only for the success story of overcoming his shin splints, but also just applying a lot of lessons to the podcast and kind of refreshing a lot of these universal principles and they actually work when you apply them. Um, he's a very good example of that. So I think you'll take a lot away from this. Let's dive into the episode. Danny, thanks for coming onto the podcast. How are you today? Yeah, very well. Thanks yourself. Very good. I um, good. usually have a bit of more of a background insight before actually starting the podcast but for you we um, chatted a bit via email and I actually don't know a lot about you so how about we get started with you just introducing yourself and where you're from. Yeah I'm uh, Danny Symington from the southeast of England and uh, yeah. And so how about your running background talk us through how you first got involved in running and um, where your interests lie distance wise and experience wise. So when I was growing up uh, at school, really, so I've been running for sort of 30 plus years, 32 years, something like that. When I was 12, I started. My dad used to drag me to the local running club three days a week and I didn't enjoy it much, but I did it because I was told to and um, ran for the school cross country and track for the club. So 800, 1500, a steeplechase every now and again with the vets. 
um yeah and then and then it sort of went from there really I kind of dipped out of it when I hit my teens and uh you know for 16 to 20 I guess I didn't do a lot and then started dipping back into shorter distances and half marathon stuff from there okay and before we hit record you said that symptoms started to arise in 2017 when you were preparing for a marathon was that like your first marathon or marathon for yeah. a while yeah it was the first it was the first attempt. I've done a couple of half marathons and some short distances a few night races that were short fast which was good fun but I wanted to do the long stuff and and longer than that eventually so I thought I'd try and get a couple of marathons under my belt and then maybe go for a bit an ultra distance okay so talk us through the marathon training and when symptoms started to arise so my first marathon attempt was 2017 and the training I went through went really well I followed a plan um it went it went really really well up until the weekend before the run and I I had my last uh, my last sort of tapering run which was a nine mile did that felt fine and then I made the choice to go out on my motorbike and had a motorbike accident no way uh, yeah and um I wasn't badly hurt but I broke a handful of ribs and tore my legs up and so that was a week before the marathon and so that put pay to that of course and that, that and that year really it took me a good six months I still had rib pain for six months it was they were quite bad so I then entered the same race again in 2018 um, and that went to plan did the race did the marathon it was all good so that was good and then went to do 2019 as well with the idea that in 2019 I'd do a marathon again and then maybe look up to do an ultra in the September. But coming up to the winter, I started feeling a hamstring tightness really in the, in the mid hamstring. And I kind of ignored it for a week or two, just carried on and it didn't really get any worse, but it wasn't getting any better. So come sort of December time, I, I thought, well, I'll just stop. I've still got time to stop and see if I can sort this out. So I stopped for probably two or three weeks, something like that. And then um, I went to see a physio in the end in January, mid-January, because it just wasn't getting any better. And he pulled me and poked me and did all the stuff that they do, got me to stand on one leg and sit down and stand up. And he said, I don't think you've got a hamstring pull or tear. I think it's a nerve issue connected to a, a back injury that I had many years ago. Right. So you go run. You can run, and and um, it might be a bit sore, but it's not gonna it's not gonna injure you any further. It's it's a sort of a nerve damage thing. So were symptoms further down into the hamstring muscle, or was it high up in the sitting bone, or was it radiating like a no, was, big area? It, it was smack bang in the middle, um, mm-hmm. and it it wasn't. It wasn't enough to stop me, but it was enough for me to worry that it was something more serious. Right. And, and then so sort of come, yeah, he gave me some exercises to do and before I ran every day and it didn't really do any. I, was, I read through the, the sort of notes that I had with him and, and the pain was still there, but I was building up mileage and it seemed all right. So I just carried on really. Hmm. And would the hamstring issues 
be a problem like towards the end of your run or once you've cooled down the next day or what was that it was, experience? It was kind of kind of random really. It was in the day, all day it would come and go. There wasn't a massive pattern to it from what I remember. It mm. didn't hurt more while I was running. Um, normally hurt after, but that's when I started thinking about it, I suppose. So, Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have that common experience, like once they've, the hustle and bustle of the day has all settled and you, you lay down and you start watching TV and you start paying attention to your body, that's when a lot of people start to experience that and whether you're paying attention to it more or not, it's hard to say. So you continued yeah. running, um, you continued to build up, and how did the body handle it? Well, the, the the sort of issue was at that point, because I was sort of mid-January, the marathon was in April, <laughs> and I had the choice, do I do I start the marathon plan? I, I was halfway through the marathon plan, so do I start the plan from the beginning and only get up to a long run, which would have been about 16 miles, or do I start the plan halfway through and get all my long runs in, but take the risk of that high mileage to start with? And stupidly, I took the latter and started the marathon plan halfway through. So my first week was 25, 30 mile week. And that was kind of the last consistent week I did for a long time. Was the shins kicked in? and Was there much of a time off? long running since then like did you have um extended time off or just running small distances i hadn't run a step in six weeks oh i see okay so you've gone six weeks off to yeah half, to diving in halfway through your training plan yeah 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 okay yeah <clears throat> that's no surprise well it's no really. surprise but that's what happens when you weigh up the risk versus reward i think you were yeah you thought about it at the time and you thought, okay, if I can successfully get through the, like, I guess week one, week two of halfway through, then you kind of gold to there's a reduced risk. Once you're able to tolerate that, then you can just keep following the training plan. However, there's a risk associated with starting from the beginning and trying to catch up or trying to have a huge jump to marathon distance Whereas yeah. you thought you'd go the other way and it's just weighing up risk versus reward. And you'd either is, yeah. increase the risk at the end when, it, if you were to start the very start of the training plan, all that risk comes at the end. Once you have to try and run the marathon almost uh, underdone. Whereas if you were to start halfway through all the risk would be at the very start. And it seems like that's what happened week one. So yeah, um, yeah. talk us through Well, you, you kind of thought through it and, took it on board for the, the risks, but yeah. what were symptoms like? What, what were you starting to experience? So my runs sort of, the other mistake I made was I, I kind of had a pace that I, I knew I was capable of when I was fit. And I tried to sort of latch onto that straight away. I didn't give it a whole lot of thought, to be honest. And I started feeling my shins after probably the third run that week I was doing four miles four miles and it was a five and they started getting painful and the long run on the Sunday was uh, 16 mile and they were sore after that but more so afterwards um, in the evening and bedtime you could just feel them throbbing so yeah I booked another appointment 
with my uh, physio and he said he had a prod around and said he suspected it was uh, stress fractures. Didn't mm. scan, but was poking a particular part. And he, he said, you need to have some time off. So he said, six weeks, don't do anything. So that was the races sort of cancelled in one conversation with ultra and the marathon. They were, they were out the window. Yeah. So, um, and they were actually that bad. I, I tried mountain biking and even walking really would aggravate them. It was, it was pretty painful. What did the scans come back all clear? I didn't, I didn't ever get scanned. He okay. just, that, that was his, he just told me that's what he thought it was. Right. I put pressure on a certain spot and it seemed to aggravate it in a, in a more concentrated area than the whole shin. Mm-hmm. And that was his conclusion. But usually if there's shin pain as a physio, you want to try and there's three common conditions that can present kind of similar and definitely in the similar area. And it'd be like a um, compartment syndrome, which is just like the, the front component of the shin can start to build up in pressure you've got the medial tibial stress syndrome which is the shin splints or you have a stress fracture because the the tibia the shin bone can be a prime area for yeah some sort of stress reaction stress fracture so um they're very very common uh conditions in that area and i guess scans would help if you you're suspecting a stress fracture but definitely six weeks off is probably warranted if it was a stress fracture and as you were going through those six weeks off after those six weeks how'd you feel were you starting to improve in symptoms uh yeah i mean it it sort of all disappeared and and then i would start up again but i was doing too much in hindsight i started off doing too much i was going out and rather than trying to start from scratch I was going out and trying to do two or three miles and see how it feels and after 20 minutes or 30 minutes I'd start feeling it creep back in and I'd have to walk it home um and it was Was the marathon still an idea of yours no it was out that was it gone I can see there's um a usual pattern when someone kind of allows themselves enough time to prepare for a marathon and they get injured somewhere throughout and they have to take a couple of weeks off. They then yeah. try and decide, oh, you know, the, the marathon's still an, a goal. Um, let me jump back in. And it's really hard to decide where to jump back in because you're already behind the eight ball because you've had so much time off. And so you're like, oh, yeah. should I just jump into it? Or should I, you know, take my time and slowly build up? It's really hard to know where to dive in. And a lot of people find themselves diving in, doing too much too soon. But Okay, so you've pegged off the mileage. You've gone to do some three miles, four miles, but you're still noticing symptoms? Yeah, still kicking in. And mainly it would the pain would get worse in the evening. So when it was when it was still fresh like that after the after the initial sort of six weeks off, pain was I could feel it while I was running, but you'd start running and it would it would actually build while I was running. I know it's sort of common that it builds at the beginning and then it disappears but it was kind of the opposite it would come in a couple of miles in or 20 30 minutes in I'd start feeling it and then I'd just stop but it was the evenings that particularly bothered me and at night just lying in bed that's when the that's when it really sort of kicked in I haven't seen a lot of shin splints like I have most other running conditions but Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know I have just updated my 5 day injury prevention challenge 
This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Um, what I have gathered is sometimes in the early stages of the pathology, there can be that warm-up effect where it's a little bit stiff or a little bit sore to first mm. start running, but once you've warmed up, it's okay. But in the latter stages, if the pathology is quite severe, that's very similar to your experience. Like it just gets worse and worse as you go along, as you try and build yeah. up, build up, build up. Um, <clears throat> okay. So was the symptoms like, during the run, were they set at like a very particular point of the, the front of the leg or was it a bit more widespread? No, it was actually a little bit more widespread, really. And uh, sometimes it was both shins. Sometimes it was one. Mm. Uh, there was no real pattern to it. I, I, and I was running on road as well. I, I, I don't do as much of that now. I try and mix it up. But at the time, it was all on road. So I was just pounding myself. Yeah. Okay. When did you get like, or did you ever get an accurate diagnosis? I, so I went to see eventually after oh, this cycle went on. So I'd basically, I'd have a few weeks off and wait until the symptoms stopped and, and then I'd start again and then I'd stop again. And it got to the point where the pain was there. Even I'd go and walk the dog half an hour walk. And if I put the pace on a little bit, I'd start feeling it. So I'd have to back it off, even walking. And in the end, I just, I kind of gave up with it for a while. And then I, I thought, well, I'll start at the feet. And the, the original physio had said, maybe at some point we should look at getting your feet looked at, see if you need orthotics. So I went and saw somebody independently and he put me on the treadmill and did the, um, did all the tests to, to check my cadence and, and, and foot strike and all of that stuff and said yeah you definitely need orthotics okay did they comment on any other particular like how you're running or like how high up your toes are when you impact the ground anything like that so yeah so my he didn't comment on, on like my heel strike or or forefoot but he did say that i was really over pronating and cross i had like a cross uh foot strike if you like so i was crisscrossing yeah as i was yeah. as i was running and he sort of showed me the freeze frame and drew a line up my leg and he, i mean it was it was quite a frightening angle that my that my legs were looking at on the on the treadmill yeah. and then he said all that pressure's just going straight up your shin and so we'll fit you out with ease and so he fitted me out with them still didn't run i was walking with them because they were fairly painful actually for few weeks um when i first put them in my trainers okay and did you have any education around widening your your gait like if you had that crossover pattern did they tell you to try and think about running or walking with more of a wider step width honestly at the time it was just coming up to sort of covid and i got fitted for them and i was supposed to go back and have like a final checkup where he was going to see how they were doing, but it never happened. And yeah, all of that stuff, the widening and the cadence, all that came from, from your podcast. That was all sort okay. of self-taught really, or, or not self-taught, but I'd listening to 
hours of hours of your podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to hear. And I do see, like in your story, a very that pain, rest, weakness spiral that uh, you're saying that you were getting symptoms with like doing too much mileage and then trying to go back and you managing like three or four miles and then symptoms would come on. And now it's you're you're under the advice of your health professional, just like taking weeks off at a time. And then we're just looking at now it's symptomatic just with walking or just trying to increase the speed with walking. And you're just having a look at that capacity, just dropping. Did you um, have that kind of reflection listening on the podcast and kind of hearing that pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral. Yeah, definitely. It was a massive eye opener because uh, that's exactly what happened. It my, my sort of tolerance, what I could take went down and down and down. And as it went down, I did less and less and less. I, I wouldn't ride my mountain bike because I sold it in the end because it that was hurting my shins. Walking the dog was hurting my shins. And I was wearing comp- uh, compression sleeves to work all day, every day. I'm a painting decorator, so I'm up and down ladders. And they're quite uncomfortable when you've got them on for eight hours. But it, it got into that thing where I'm doing more and more and more just to try and, you know, keep the keep them feeling not painful, which yeah. got harder and harder. Well, at any stage throughout this rehab, did were you encouraged at all to do any sort of strength training or any cross training any, like to maintain levels of fitness? No, again, that, that all came from, from the podcast that okay. that's when I sort of start, I, to be honest with you, I kind of, it was sort of May time and I, I was working, um, on a, like a horse building. I was painting some windows and it was a nice day and I, and I hadn't been running. I hadn't ran for a while. I'd kind of given up with it for a bit. I thought maybe I just have a year off and see how it feels. Then, you know, start back up when I've given myself proper time to heal and I thought oh, it'd be nice to just finish work and go for a run but I knew it was going to end up in pain so I, was, I looked through because I was working I didn't have my radio I looked through I just searched in podcasts shin splints and your episode episode 46 I've listened to it about eight times <laughs> where you did the um you did it with another guy I can't remember his name but yeah I listened to that and it it just sort of blew my mind really that I the the information on there saying you you can run with it if you know just uh you've got to run running with the pain isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as it's not increasing and as long as it's not over sort of two or three out of ten okay um i might add the that episode into the show notes um i did it with Dwayne scotty who um he's got the healthy runner podcast and i think yeah, I guess uh, my next question would be like, how did you start implementing those lessons and how, when did things start turning around? So basically from, from, from that weekend, I listened to that and laced up my trainers and, and went for a walk, run, walk. I, I mean, I going back a bit, I listened to a lot. I sort of started at the beginning with, all of the like right from the beginning of your podcast and cherry picked a little bit at the beginning just to get what I needed, but I never ended up listening to the 90% of them, but picking the, um, the rehab sort of section that you did and, and the walk for a minute or walk for two minutes, run for a minute and built up that slowly. And I didn't, 
I hadn't really realised that that's where I needed to to start with it right from the beginning, back it right off to walk, run, then couch to 3K, 5K and build it up like that. And since May last year, that's what I've done and build it up and build it up to 25-mile weeks now where I'm at. Okay. Um, Listening to the podcast, were there any other takeaways, any other helpful lessons or episodes that you were listening to? Oh, this, I mean, the, the, the recovery month was massive. The, the, all of the information about sleep and, and, and how important that is over nutrition and everything else. I didn't, I didn't realize quite how, how much sleep plays a massive part in, in getting your body repaired. It's kind of obvious when you think about it, but it hadn't, it hadn't factored really. I spent an awful lot of my time coming home and stretching and rolling and icing. And I know your views on, on stretching, are, that sort of put me off that a little bit, that it's actually not maybe as helpful as I'd always led to believe it was. So I came home and rather than stretched, I slept. <laughs> if yeah. I could sleep, I would sleep. Cool. And yes, yeah, so my wife loves it now. She comes <laughs> home and I'm either a sleeper in the bath or, yeah. And a bit of uh, cold water therapy stuff, like a bit of ice treatment—not ice, but cold water and hot water—and and, yeah. and all that good stuff. I'd say um, if I were to have some wish implants, some of the lessons I would take away would be exactly that: it's um, wait for symptoms to, to subside a little bit, but then you'd start a walk-run program, see if you can tolerate symptoms, or make sure that symptoms aren't significantly exacerbated, especially following the run. Uh, But my other tip would be to start some calf and soleus strengthening exercises because that's kind of where a lot of the research tends to hone in. Did you manage to do some strengthening exercises at all or did you just follow just a really regimented return to run program? No, so I... I've started doing two. I just Googled a, I'm looking at it now, a runner's, uh, runner's world, 10 essential strength training exercises for runners. And I was doing that twice a week and I'm still doing it twice a week, but I'm now up to sort of single leg calf raises. And so I'm, I'm trying to increase what I'm doing with it. So I do that. That's 20 minutes twice a week. It's probably not enough, but I started that right at the beginning um heel raises all that sort of stuff and bent knee heel raises for i think that engages the soleus yeah wrong? yeah i usually recommend either if someone has a gym that they can go to some gyms have like a seated calf raise machine where you're kind of sitting with your knees bent at 90 degrees and all the padding and all the weights are kind of on top of your knees or like on your thighs and you kind of do some calf raises with all the weight on your thighs that's a really good option but not many people have access to that. And so the next best thing I can think of is just doing calf raises with in standing, just with a bent knee and just trying to maintain that knee slightly bent, say like maybe 20 degrees or something. And just trying to keep that bent while you go up and while you go down, it's kind of hard to coordinate when you very first start because you're like you have this innate, like sort of sensation to want to straighten up your leg as you move up. But the, the idea is to keep um, yeah, the knees completely still. And once you bend that knee slightly, you're, there's two, the two muscles that are in the calf are kind of almost 
puts the other one on Slack as a kind of a loose term, but it does bias the soleus muscle when you do keep that knee bent, which the soleus attaches onto your shin bone. It like attaches onto the back of your shin bone and the theory being, and the research showing that once that gets really strong and can tolerate a ton of capacity, it actually absorbs or um, transfers a lot of the load to that strong muscle so that your shin, when it, when your shin hits the ground, when you're running, it kind of absorbs a lot of that load. It kind of just shifts a lot of that load to the muscle rather than to the bone. We could say something like that, but yeah, stronger muscles, stronger calves, stronger soleus muscles. Um, If you do need to do some sort of rehab for shin splints is always my recommendation is just what the evidence shows as well. I tried to do uh, I tried to do the seated one with my daughters on each knee, but okay, how'd that go? It wasn't enough weight. So yeah, well, what I've yeah. found is if uh, I'm at the gym and they don't have a seated calf raise machine, if I try and put like a weight plate or something on my <clears throat> on my thigh, it you need a lot of weight. You need a stack of weight for it to yeah. actually be efficient. Otherwise, you just don't feel like you're doing much because you're used to doing calf raises like single leg calf raises. For me, that's 70 kilos. And to mimic that, you need 70 plus kilos on your thigh. And as soon as you start piling on that much weight, it just becomes super uncomfortable, like applying that much pressure on your skin or on your thigh, on your muscles. is just, yeah, incredibly awkward and um, uncomfortable. Okay. So if we dive back into you doing your, your walk run strategy and slowly building up, were symptoms just staying at a mild two or three out of 10 throughout and you just built up capacity from there? How did the shin start responding? So, yeah, initially there was there was a little bit of pain there, not not much, like I say, two or three out of 10, and then I'd back it down if I needed to. A lot of the ground I was walking on is off, off road with the dog, so... Sometimes if you're walking off camber or something, you could, you know, it's a slanty hill and you're going up there, it would aggravate it a bit more. So I try and avoid that next time. Um, but yeah, basically it, it, it built up and, and then I was doing sort of whole runs, but very slow, like a minute or two off what I would expect to be running at embarrassingly sort of slow. Yep. I like that. Um, yeah. And, and I just kept doing that really. I had a few sort of little relapses where I'd, I'd come back and they'd be suffering and then I'd just back it down and maybe go on a grass field that's flat, avoid the hilly bits until it calmed down again and just keep building it up. And And the main thing I found, again, from, from the podcast is the consistency is so important. You've got to keep going every other day or or what your plan is. If you stop for two or three days and you've got to keep it consistent and that, that seemed to work for me, keeping keeping a steady plan and just keeping it going, not missing them, you know, just, just keep, keep going and keep building it up. Yeah. It's back to episode two of the podcast. It's the, the more frequent that you hit your adapt adaptation zone, the quicker you're going to adapt, the quicker you go, even if it's a starts off as an embarrassingly slow pace, like that embarrassingly slow pace and distance is, could be your shin like, adaptation zone and so if you even though it's slow and you're not getting much of a workout for the rest of the body if you do that every Mm. second day you're doing it three four times a week and then you're um you're getting stronger and you're building that capacity a lot quicker 
And that's nice. I think there's a lesson to be said there. If you're slowly building up and then you have a flare up day, if you've done too much, one, it's not going to flare up significantly because you have made that small step. So it's going to settle down within a day or two. And then you say, okay, that was a bit too much. Let me back off again and work my way back up from there. And it's just following a ladder where there's a couple of steps back every now and then, but you just keep working your way back up the ladder and learning along the way, learning that, okay, if I have a flare up, let's remove the harder surfaces. Let's go onto grass, go onto level ground. Let's maybe back off the speed a little bit and slowly um, build up that stimulation. And you're doing the complete opposite of that pain, rest, weakness. You're just continuously um, stimulating that the shin area and then just constantly just learning along the way, which mm. um, it's it seems to set you up for success. So um, at the moment, what have you built yourself up to? So I'm now up to sort of 20-ish miles a week. Okay, uh, very good. Sunday, Saturday just gone. I did 11 miles. And I I went a bit fast, really. I, I knocked a minute off my, I sort of did it at race pace because I'd been doing so much at a mediocre pace that I, for confidence, I just wanted to know that I could do a bit more if I wanted to. And it felt good. So I did it. And then, of course, it's affected me for the next couple of days. I've had to back it off. And uh, my Monday session I was supposed to do, I went for a walk instead because I could just feel it a little bit. And today I've gone out and taken it easy again. So that little bit of um, sort of the, the lesson I tried to give myself at the weekends now affecting my training in the week because it takes a bit more time to get over it because you pushed yourself. Yeah. And I think like the same lessons that you're learning and the more you're listening to your body in those early stages, you just keep following those principles moving forward. I would say if you're doing, say, a 30 mile week and then you start to want you start to do some speed if you want to increase your pace i'd say that's when you have to back off the mileage and do say one Mm. day of speed and see how that goes or even just do intervals the same way you started off doing a a walk run where there wouldn't have been a lot of running but there would have been a lot of walking you might do a run and the and then like maybe a faster pace and then back to your normal run and then a faster pace and back to your normal and start off really slow and then just build up those same principles, following symptoms, seeing how things go, um, the same frequency, and then perhaps just listening to your body, seeing how things go. If you do have a flare up, then jump back, maybe go to grass, maybe back off the mileage for a few days and then slowly work your way. It's the exact same principles. We still need to have the same diligence um, than you did day one, but I guess the overall buffer is a lot bigger. The the yeah. um, the foundation is a lot bigger, but the principles still apply. Yeah, the the speed works the bit that while I was in that sort of boom and bust cycle that went on for I don't know how long it went on for too long. It was mm. the speed work when I started getting confident again, and and you you read the plan that you're doing, and it says speed work, and you start doing intervals and stuff quite a lot of the time that's what would get me in trouble trying to trying to do the faster stuff but I think again probably just trying to do too much too soon and um not realizing quite how slowly you've got to build up especially yeah. when you're old age of 42 <laughs> I think I think it's worth people learning how much more impact is required for the body 
or how much impact is on the body as soon as you start increasing your speed. Even if you increase the speed a little bit, if you go from, say, um, three times your body weight every time you impact the ground to five times your body weight every time you hit the ground, it's not a difference in pace, but overall, every single step, if you go from three times your body weight to five times your body weight, which does happen, it's just yeah. a massive accumulation every single step, thousands of steps. So if you say are used to running four miles at a slow pace and then you decide to run three miles or four miles at a faster pace, every single step you're doing like almost double in force. And then it's, it, it's um, expected that like symptoms might flare up for you. It might be too much of a jump. And so either backing off or doing that run walk or those sort of intervals sort of things makes a lot more sense. It's a lot more conservative and you're still putting in some mile, uh, some good mileage. Um, so yeah. always a good tip. Um, always yeah. for, for any injury really. Um, yeah. I think we're learning a lot. So I guess as we're finishing up, do you, well, first of all, from when you start doing that walk run program until now building up this mileage, how long of a, a span was that? Uh, so it's been, I've started, I've ran consistently since May last year. So I think it was probably, I was, I was doing something every other day until I got to a point where I could run. So maybe a month or two, I took it mm -hmm. really slow, really slow. Yeah. yeah. And so, it's been um, since then. so from your walk run program until building up some consistent running mileage, you say it took about one to two months. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Very nice. Um, and now you're just continuing. Do you have any running goals at the, at the moment, any races in mind? So I've got a thing about April marathons. So I've, I, thing is with me i need a i need a plan i need some i need to be told what to do otherwise i end up getting out of control and doing too much too soon so i'll follow a plan Very so I'm following a marathon following a marathon plan at the moment and i'm planning to run a marathon mid-april just unsupported because it's it gives me something to train for and uh yeah so that's the plan cool cool um if someone were suffering from shin splints or some sort of shin pain uh right now do you have any advice for them any tips other than what we've already learned and discovered today so all of these i've learned from from the podcast the, the first is the cadence um mm -hmm. i look back at the cadence my cadence when i was running before i sort of had any education about it and i was my cadence was about 147 i was averaging really wow so <laughs> really long stride well over a meter mm -hmm. and i've managed to get that up to i'm struggling to get it up to the sort of magic 180 but i'm up to sort of 165 ish at the moment um and i think that's helped the problem is i've I, i've got a few things that i implemented here but i did them all at once because I was starting from scratch and I thought I may as well do all of these things that are supposed to be good. I'll do them all now because I'm doing them while I'm walking and running and I could build it all up together. So the first was the cadence. The second was just slowing down, you know, the, the pace that I expect I should do. I can't do anymore. I can't not, not after having time off. I'm not 25 or 30 
you know so you've just got to be realistic and i'd rather run consistently for a longer period and that'll get me fitter in the long run rather than having these boom bust cycles where you get you get good and then you're injured and then you've got to stop for three months and start again uh the other one was i widened my foot strike pattern so rather than crossing over tried to widen that i was walking around the kitchen practicing that and my wife said i look like i'd had an accident um <laughs> but yeah so that that I, I guess that helped and obviously i've got the um the insoles again i don't know if that particular thing's helped but my shins have been fine since so so yeah that's that's a few of them Nicole, allow me to like comment on a, a few of those. So cadence, I, I don't think you need to aim for 180. I think that if you Google a lot of articles, they always say 180 is kind of the magic number, but really from evidence, we know that there's a range. There's not one number that's everyone should be aiming for. There's a, a, a sweet spot kind of range. And that seems to be between 165 and 185 and it seems like you might be in that nice sweet spot for you, um, especially yeah. if you're um, managing those really slow um, speeds as well. And your second point with this, make sure we slow down. It's exactly what you said. When people very first start or reintroducing some running, I always say, let's just do an embarrassingly slow or an embarrassingly short speed and let's just build up from there. And so it's super conservative and that's exactly what you did. And that's, I, I guess, a really good starting point, especially having so much time off, but just yeah. doing that embarrassingly slow speed multiple times a week, it's, it, it's just set you up for success. And with the, the widening your step, I've said this on the podcast before, I'm pretty sure, but when I tell runners on a treadmill, oh, you have this crossover gate or your step width is quite narrow. Maybe we should widen it a little bit everyone overcorrects themselves. Everyone goes way too wide and starts like stepping side to side. And it's like they're running on the moon. But what we're really talking about is like a two inch difference. It's like really subtle. Right. And it's almost like if there's a, a white line straight down the belt of the treadmill, um, you're crossing over to the other side. All we need to do is either contact on that line or just off to that line. So your right foot is contacting just the outside of that, um, the outside of that line. Okay. So it's really, really subtle, but makes Minimal. a huge difference when it comes to biomechanics and like load going through your body. Um, so yeah, that's another tip for the listeners out there. I, I know if you've been told to widen your step width or you want to try widening your step width, just don't overdo it. You should still have a natural, smooth, straight running line instead of jumping from side to side. Um, and I guess my advice for the insoles is always just, if it works for you, then that's fine. Continue with it. Um, yeah. But make sure that you're building up strength and don't become too reliant on the insoles. It should be. Um, and also know that <clears throat> insoles might not work for other people. So put them in, see if it works. If it does keep them uh, with the, probably the plan to wean off them eventually, but just don't fall into the trap of becoming reliant over reliant on them and wearing them all the time because um you might start finding that the, the capacity of the foot like the little muscles in the foot start becoming quite deconditioned if you're relying on um if the arches and the the muscles inside the feet are becoming too reliant on those those insoles so great takeaways and great lessons um that i think have 
it sounds like has been very successful. Um, <clears throat> as we finish up, any other final tips or anything you want to add before we wrap up? Only a couple of, the only other thing that, again, I heard through the podcast is, is running up hills. When I used to run the hills, I would put my calves under enormous strain by really powering up with those. And I'm now trying to push through from my glutes from right at the top of my leg, just to try and take a bit of pressure off, off the calves. Uh, and the last one is basically not to talk too badly about how much pain you're in all the time because the I know everybody talks about the placebo effect and and that's talked about a lot but the nocebo effect for me did quite a lot of damage and I I talked quite a lot to anybody who'd listen about how painful it was and how bad everything was and if you say enough of that stuff then it's going to come true and it and it did yeah so I I talk to my when I'm talking to anybody about any pending niggles or anything I talk to them as if my shins are listening and like they're waiting for a command and if I talk bad then they're going to be bad and if I talk good they're going to be good it might sound a bit cuckoo but it kind of works I I think that definitely fits the lesson that's within my pain science episodes of like when you say it your brain your brain hears it and your brain's the one responsible for the pain and so if you continuously talk about it that's giving it um relevance it's giving a level of importance and so the brain starts to think that it's actually a big issue or a bigger issue than it should be and it's going to the output that it creates is going to be like we really need to look after these shins what better way to look after the shins than to send pain signals there so that Danny stops his running and stops um, putting us through more danger. So it's very relevant and it um, seems to fit the pattern exactly what within those pain science episodes. So um, yeah. I think it's just like the thought um, that you're giving it is um, some a little bit of a different approach, but we're still meeting the same way. We're still reaching the same conclusions around those pain science topics. Right. No, other than that, other than that, sleep. Yes, good. Yes, fantastic. Sleep as you can get. Yep. I think that was um, the big overarching theme of December's month. Uh, December's theme is just the importance of sleep, which is great. Yeah. 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 Um, Fantastic, Danny. I think, like, listening to your story, uh, I'm not 100% convinced it might have been shin splints. It probably, I'd say, it's probably 70 to 80% likely that it was shin splints, but it actually might even be like some sort of compartment syndrome. But nonetheless, depending, no matter what the injury, whether it was um, shin splints or Achilles or like knee pain or say glute pain, the same approach that you took would help a lot of people if you just take a couple of days off for symptoms to settle. If you start some generic strength training, but if you start just really slow and making sure your cadence isn't too low, making sure that you're going at a conservative speed, making sure that everything's kind of the environment's kind of ideal and just starting slow and building up, that's going to help a lot of injuries and it's going to help compartment syndrome. It's going to help knee pain. It's going to help all types of running issues. The only exception would be um, stress fractures, but no matter what it was, you did all the sensible things and you learned a lot of lessons and uh, on how to listen to your body and look after yourself for, if they're fingers crossed, it doesn't, but if there's any future injuries, you've got those same principles to start applying. Um, so yeah. thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much for 
telling the story. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, thanks for not only, but being a listener as well, being a fan of the podcast and applying what you're learning. Um, You're going to inspire and educate a lot of listeners that are going to listen to here. So thanks once again. Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs, and eBooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get Inner Circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalogue of patron-only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic, where I assess and treat runners from all over the world, so I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.